you think about the emotional continuum between sympathy, which is you feeling bad for somebody, and empathy, which is your ability to kind of understand what they're going through, there's a dangerous middle ground of that that I've started calling sympathy, which is the ability to empathize with people that are very similar to you, and the inability to empathize with people that are very different from you. Empathy is easier when you're empathizing with someone whose experience set is quite similar to yours. Hello, and welcome to the Message Makeover podcast brought to you by the Latimer Group, the experts in persuasive communication. I'm Dean Brenner, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Dan Cooney. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Dean. This is going to be a great conversation. Dan and I are thrilled to welcome back Brian Gildenberg to the Message Makeover podcast. Brian is the Senior Vice President of Commerce at Omnicom Retail Group, a business consultancy that is on the cutting edge of retail research, analysis, and advice. Brian has spent the last 21 years analyzing, understanding, and framing the global retail landscape for his clients. Prior to his work at Omnicom, he was Chief Knowledge Officer at Kantar Retail. He received his MBA from Babson College, where we were classmates, and he has a Master of Arts degree from the University of Cambridge, England. We should also note that Brian is our first repeat guest on the Message Makeover, so no pressure, Brian, but we sincerely thought you were exactly the right person to help our listeners understand this moment in history. Brian, welcome back to the Message Makeover podcast. It's great, great to be back. So, yeah, it's it's it's, it's uh, as we said, you are our first repeat, and uh, and you were the first person we thought of. So, this we're really looking forward to this conversation. This is going to be fantastic. As I've told you many times, when you say things like that, that's an indication that you need to know more people. But uh, <laughs> but look, look, look to it. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Well, Brian, we're uh, we're recording this on Thursday, June eleventh, two thousand twenty. And obviously, there's a lot going on in the United States right now, a lot of conversations, not only about health issues, which we'll get back to in a few right. minutes, but around race, racial equality, and in particular, law enforcement's relationship with the black community. And, mm -hmm. and we think everybody needs to be talking about this, and especially people like me, you, and Dan, three white guys. Uh, we right. think this is a conversation that needs to be top of mind for everybody, and we wanted to start there with you. And, and, and we'd like to just ask, what, what do you see going on right now? And in particular, we'd like to spend some time talking about the communication skills that you think are going to be most important if we're going to be making progress as a nation. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, that's a, an obviously a broad question. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I'll try to hear this pretty close to things I know about rather than kind of mm -hmm. speculation into areas that aren't my area of expertise, though. Um, though, look, I think um, – I mean, I think what you have potentially here um, is an inflection point in the way that our society processes the foundational and statistical truth that we are going to be a markedly more diverse country 10 years from now than we are now um, and are a markedly more diverse country today than we were 10 years ago. And, you know, there's that phrase, demographics is destiny, which I don't always buy, but I think in this case, you know, the simple statistical throwaway here is that, you know, 80% of, uh, you know, 80, about 80% of over 50 America is Caucasian, about 20% is not Caucasian. If you go to under 30 America, it's a 52-48 split. Um, you know, as I used to point out in lighter-hearted times, um, just to bring this point home to marketers, because I've been highlighting this point for about a decade. Um, 
is that look, yeah, there are neighboring there are neighboring countries that regularly go to war with each other over ethnic differences that aren't as ethnically different from each other as over fifty American under thirty America are. And I do think that right now what you're seeing at some basic level is the conflagration of that fundamental problem. And not to gloss it over by saying it's math, but I do think it helps under I think one of the ways in which and this will get to the communications point, to bridge the gap between people that have radically different perspectives on what's happening. You just got to understand that people's experiences are really different. And, you know, a 27 year old who grew up in an urban environment in the United States, it's a fundamentally different understanding of, of the relationship between ethnicities than a 53 year old person who spent their entire life in the suburbs. They just do. And that 53 year old can be the most open-minded person in the world. They're just not going to have the same experience set to understand what we're seeing today that somebody else might. And I think that gets to, at, at, at its basic level, one of the three communication principles that I think is most important right now, which is just basically empathy. And, um, you know, and it's, uh, it's an easy word to say, hard to do. Um, it's like the game of fellow, you know, easy to learn, hard to master. Um, and, um, but, um, but, and look, and I think there's a real risk to empathy because if you, if you think about the emotional continuum between sympathy, which is you feeling bad for somebody, and empathy, which is your ability to kind of understand what they're going through, there's a dangerous middle ground of that that I've started calling sympathy, which is the ability to empathize with people that are very similar to you and the inability to empathize with people that are very different from you. Empathy is easier when you're empathizing with someone whose experience set is quite similar to yours. Um, the problem with sympathy is that in empathy, you get an empathetic response. With sympathy, you get the same pathetic response to what we said. And, um, and the ability to actually listen to the words and the emotions of another so that you can move from sympathy to empathy, I think is probably one of the most foundational skills. I'd like to be curious for your thoughts on that because we, we haven't yeah. actually talked about this. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, that's I, fascinating. Go ahead. Well, Brian, it's, it kind of gets to this point that I've been thinking about is, you know, we always, the, you know, the number one rule that we think about in terms of treating uh, the gold standard for treating others, you know, as we would, you know, treat ourselves, the golden rule, mm-hmm. right? Does it, it, it kind of goes to your point of like, maybe the golden rule isn't so golden here. Like, well, that's the way I'd want to be treated because th- this is my experience. And with people that have these massively different experiences, um, then maybe we need to treat other people not exactly that way. We have to understand them a little bit better, listen a little bit better to understand how they might want to be treated in a similar situation. I, a, I, don't, I don't know if that goes to that to your point that you are making. That is a hair on the back of my arms raising profound insight. Um, I, I, that's brilliant. Um, and I, there really is something to that, which is that, to do unto others as you would have others do unto you requires a much more complicated series of it's a much more complicated process when that other has a vastly different experience than you do. Um, I think that's a really, you know, and maybe, you know, the new golden rule is probably some reframing of that, which is do unto others as you would have others do unto you if they knew you the way that you know you. Um, so, and that's a really, that's a fascinating, that's a fascinating idea, actually. Yeah, so. it, it really is. And, and, and I'll, I'll follow up to here, you know, here's something that we talk about a lot. And 
and not always easily inside the walls of the Latimer Group. I'm not going to sit here and say the conversations around these issues are easy internally. They're certainly not easy externally, but even even within our small, fairly homogenous group, uh, it, it is not easy. And And one of the things that I always say to people is, if we're going to make progress as a nation, we've got to change some minds. And just fundamental human DNA, no matter who the person is, where they came from, what their experience set is, human beings do not open up their mind to other things when they're under attack and when they're backed into a corner. It's just, yeah. it, it's, you, you just, you're not going to attack somebody into agreeing with you. You might attack them into capitulating to you. Right. That's, and, 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 and that's that, that, that gets, that gets to the heart of the issue from my perspective about how do you change minds in the type of demographic scenario you described when attacking isn't going to change a single mind, but we got to change a bunch of minds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think too, it's, um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's quite true. And, um, you know, and I think the, and the, well, this is interesting too, because I, I, I recorded a, uh, recorded a podcast yesterday, which isn't up yet, or is a video call with, uh, my old, uh, my old colleague, Brian Owens. Um, uh, who's a you know an African American uh, African American guy who grew up in a pretty pretty white part of Boston, went to Colgate, and has been and worked with me at Cantor for years um, as one of the very few African American men in an industry which is the consumer products industry. It's overwhelmingly white, and um, we had this conversation. One of the things that he said, he goes, "Look, you go if you're going to engage in this conversation, you know, Dean, you and I have gone back and forth on this a little bit as well." Yep. You're going to have to deal with a little bit of emotional my end. So, you know, don't feel attacked. It's just, it's emotional to me. So like, right. I don't, I'm not going to be able to present this in the neat ribbon wrapped package that you might like to have this conversation in. Right. Cause that's right. not my experience. So I think that some of that I think is on the, you know, and Dean, I know one of your, you know, you are a, uh, you know, you you are you're you're on a you're on a you're on a mission to civilize to quote the character from the newsroom. Um, and I know that one of the big <laughs> the, one one of the big tenets of your your communication is that in almost all cases you just don't view uncivil dialogue as productive. Um, and um, and I respect and I respect that. I think there is a the only nuance I might add to that to build on our new golden rule is if you're going to understand someone that has emotionally lived this issue differently than you have the emotions they bring to the conversation are different than the ones that somebody else might sure. and as a result you've got to create some space for that um sure. and no and uh, you know this is a conversation brian and i had because I, I just because i said yeah look i've talked to you about these types of issues a hundred times and yeah you get emotional about it i know you're not really emotional at me <laughs> i mean right. yes yes i'm the white guy that happens to be talking to you about this but i'm, I'm not I'm not to you a representation of all whiteness here. I'm just the guy that happens to be having a conversation. So, so, and, uh, so for me to personalize that anger, or get defensive about it would be kind of silly. Um, and, um, but, and it would completely get in the way of a productive conversation. So I do think there is, I think that's yep. where empathy gets really tricky is the ability to, you know, and this is a lot, if you actually go back and, you know, I know you have, but if you go really read Martin Luther King, um, and the way in which King talks about nonviolence, there's an enormous bar to not responding to the emotions of others and to stay where you are, no matter what that convert, you know, no matter how emotional that conversation gets. And yes. And I do think though that for in the, 
to get back to the art of persuasion, um, you know, empathy is one of these uh, one of these big uh, one of these big variables. But the the second one um, I think is really important um, is clarity, and yes. you know, really knowing you know just being very clear about what it is that you're trying to uh, you know trying to talk about, um, and really having having a command of communication is really important at this moment in time. Um, and not just a, you know, not just a pimp your services, but, but, but it's really important to know exactly what it is you're trying to say. And in important moments to have put a little bit of thought into how you're trying to say it, um, to get really specific and granular about, you know, just because the one thing is when somebody's in a heightened emotional state, the wrong word choice can yes be like lighter fluid on fire right so absolutely right yeah you know just to take this out of uh racial context for a second and the emotional content and how people are used to different levels of emotional content and conversations i'll just give you show you this short story the first time i brought um my now um my wife my amazing wife of 17 years and to meet my brother ted and we were went to a um a restaurant in Portland, Maine, and we were sitting with him and his wife, and we had this um, dinner. And we, as we came out, and Kate and I were walking back to the car. Kate says, "Are are you okay?" And I go, "What?" And he goes, well, "You and your brother were yelling at each other. You know, you had a fight." Go, no, <laughs> that's just the way Coonies talk to each other. Like we knew that dinner time was over at the Cooney household if someone got up and started to cry. Like that, that was the end of dinner. Whereas her family was quieter. <laughs> And they just didn't have those like rollicking conversations. So we're all different, used to different levels of uh, emotional content. Yeah. No, um, notes, notes of self, don't go to dinner at Dan's house. Okay, good. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It actually didn't seem so bad because we're just used to it, you know? So anyway. Right. Yeah. So you're, uh, watching like, you're watching TV going, okay, when's the, when does the fighting start? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty chill. Okay. Um, so, that was... That was great. <laughs> I think the, the, just ahead, one Brian. last piece too, because I think it, with em, with empathy and clarity, I think the other thing is just genuineness, and uh, and that's where you just gotta as much as you can. And this is this is this I think is a really interesting business opportunity slash challenge for a business like yours, which is that clarity, i.e., being really thoughtful about how you express yourself, to some people can seem like the opposite of genuineness, which is just saying what I really feel. Um, it's like, oh, yeah, I gotta be so careful about what I say. Right. Um, I can't be myself because I have to be so careful about what I say. Yeah. I really do think there's a there's an education, there's a vocabulary education. I think everybody needs to go through. It's like learning a foreign language. You've got to get more comfortable with clearer language so yeah. that you can be yourself in it more. And that's where that's where just you know that the, in the end. You know, tough conversations get easier. Um, the more you the more you have them. It's like anything. That's, yeah. that's a great. That's a great I love insight. That point. If you yeah. constantly shy away from tough conversation, you're never yeah. going to get good at it. You'll never look. You'll never. You'll never learn language, and you'll never learn. You know, look. There is a way to talk about. You know. You know, there is a way to talk about racial diversity. I mean, there are there are terms like unconscious bias that you know, yes. if you're not used to them, they feel very PC and very yes. whatever. But you just, I mean, this is vocabulary you need. You need to get, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's like French. You just got to keep speaking. Well, until, and until and, and that, ties back to your, that ties back to your demographic. 
statistics yeah. that you gave us at the outset. I mean, that, that is a great insight. We are basically two different countries and, and we got to figure this out. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, yep. we, we all got to learn this language. Yeah, yeah. We all have to learn the language. There's no question about it. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah. anyway, that, that's a great conversation. Um, let's, uh, let's pivot now to the ongoing health crisis. Sure. <laughs> let's do that. Let's, uh, let's, let's, move, let's move down the 2020 disaster list. So, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the murder hornets conversation, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm going to dive into that a little bit. More, so. <laughs> we might not get to that. Looks like we might not oh. get to that. Um, pray pray, right, pray, so pray mantises take those bad, bad, those bad boys out. We're fine here. So New Jersey. Okay. <laughs> uh, Brian. As communicators, we love the way you frame issues. You know that, and they are especially useful to help us explain complicated topics in simple ways, yeah. especially in an environment the likes of which we have not seen in our lifetimes. And you've done some analysis on coronavirus and its impact on U.S. and global economies. And can you share two or three you know, macro thoughts for listeners on what you see coming around the corner over the next uh, few months, over the, over the summer months? Yeah, and it's. I mean, obviously, a lot of this is in flux right now. And as we're uh, you know, as we're as as we're talking, the uh, <clears throat> the 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 stock the stock market is becoming reacquainted with you know math and reality. Um, as the <laughs> last time I looked, the market was down by nine hundred points. Um, look, I think you've got a couple of things here that are I think pretty fundamental. Number one, um, and let's just look at you know for an example of communication, I think there's two fascinating things which are. That happened this week. Number one is the uh, number one of the employment numbers, right? So, you know, of all the of all the two months in the world for the Bureau of Labor Statistics to um, misclassify five million Americans in terms of whether they're unemployed or not, this was yeah. probably not the time to do that. <laughs> like, so, uh, so right. I get it. And and when you know how this process works, you know, they've had to abandon their in-person interviews, which are a huge part of how the BLS actually accumulates unemployment data. So yeah, you're going to have some errors. Sure. Um, and these errors, at least as far as most knowledgeable experts will tell you, appear to have been inadvertent, apolitical, and just a, a factor of the difficulty of collecting data. But that created a maelstrom of noise around, around just even the basic information that we have. And I think this is one of the problems right now is that it feels today that we should always be in an information-rich environment. And I think people have gotten used to being able to Google whatever it is they need to know. So, you know, silly metaphor, but you know, Dean, you, you, you and I, you and I did like an old, old school baseball trivia thing the other day. People don't do that stuff anymore, right? Because you could just, you could have just looked up the answer and found it in two seconds. But yes. instead, you, instead, you bizarrely remembered every one of the forty-five Yankees that had won more than five World Series titles. Um, so, um, <laughs> so you know, and one of the things that'll be interesting when we talk about this a little bit later is that you know. People that grew up in the internet here don't do that. I mean, they're used to knowing everything or being able to know everything. And if they can't know everything, it feels like somebody's hiding at something. And I think that yes. the biggest the biggest situation you've got right now is that information around COVID-19 is imperfect because we don't really know what we're dealing with. And if you right. read tons of stuff on this, you get to – 75 gazillion PhDs going, yeah, you know what? I don't really know. Um, we'll see. Um, right. Not sure. Um, hey, look, that's odd. Wow, that's bizarre. Um, but anyway, but the, so, the, so I think that when the facts themselves are uncertain, um, and the, particularly the facts around COVID, the other big communications debacle was the, 
WHO coming out and saying that asymptomatic people don't transmit this without understanding that when people hear asymptomatic, they're going to get that confused with pre-symptomatic, which is something completely different. Um, so pre-symptomatic And then, and then people, they backtracked like a day later. Like they, they, well, they, well, because they had to because they were right. going to create – they were going to cause a civil war in America. Um, right. You know, the reason we're wearing masks is because pre-symptomatic people can, can – can, we think can carry and, and transmit COVID. Asymptomatic right. people are a really small part of the population, which are people that get COVID but never express any symptoms. It's the pre-symptomatic people that are why we have a lockdown, why you have masks, why you have everything. Right. Um, so, anyway, so I think that the way, so I think the way to, I think the easiest way to frame this up is that I don't think anybody right now is particularly good at operating in a world of imperfect information, and um, and I and that's where, at least to us, when we look at this. The, the capabilities you're going to need to get through the next six to 12 months are not, to, are not about knowing more about what's going to happen than somebody else. It's about knowing how to manage when you don't know what's going to happen better than somebody else. Right. And, and, and that's, and, yeah. Go ahead. And what, what I'm hearing there is we, anybody that thinks they know how long this is going to last is lying to you. Oh, yeah. And, and, we could easily have another flare up. We could have multiple flare ups. So, you know, essentially continuing on in a world of unknown, right. you're going to have to become comfortable yeah. for us for the foreseeable future. I've heard yeah. you talk about we not only do we not know what inning we're in, but we don't even know if this is a double or a triple header. Yeah, like that's we, the, we yeah. have no idea, right? Well, and I, this will, I mean, this gets out one of the questions you were asked before, but I think the baseball metaphor is an interesting one here because, you know, one of the one of the ways to look at this is, you know, what inning are we in? And, yeah, I mean, we're, we're in the sixth inning, I think, pretty clearly. The problem is it's a tie game. So, um, so right. and the problem with baseball is in a tie game, you don't know how many innings you're going to play. And I think that's a, I think that's exactly where we are. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, and, and if we're, we're the home team in a tie game. So we don't know inning to inning whether we're going to come up needing a run to win the game or whether we're going to need four runs to tie the game because, you know, the Red Sox bullpen from last year came in. Um, so, um, so there are, there's a whole bunch of, I think there's a whole bunch of variables that get attached to this that are, that are, that are pretty significant. So, um, so yeah, I would say that the, the core competency you're going to build is the ability to replan vigorously based on changing situation. Um, if you're a national U.S. business, the ability to plan regionally, because almost all of this is going to happen regionally. Nothing makes me bang my forehead on a desk more as a, uh, as a reformed researcher than national U.S. statistics on COVID. It's like that's a completely useless data set. <laughs> There's nothing to be learned from that at all. COVID right. is not something that is experienced in a 3,000 mile wide by 1,000 mile tall area it's right. a local phenomenon the transmission of virus happens locally so you've got to understand where different regions are and how that works and that's the the ability to be nimble be flexible change your strategy based on regional situation and variance you know i think that's probably going to be the uh, going to be the critical the critical skill yeah fascinating fascinating uh you know and and that obviously brings up all sorts of implications about you know, return to work. A lot of our clients right now are focusing on what we're calling the great office migration. 
but yeah. there's there, there's a pretty strong chance that we're going to be migrating back away from an office environment at some point soon, or at a minimum halting, you know, the staged rollout of, of moving back to the office. I mean, it, co companies are spending a lot of intellectual capital planning for yeah. this in a safe environment. And, and this, it all may be for naught, like they may be rolling all that back in September. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. And this is the, uh, this is the other idea that I try to use to communicate to people, which is I think that the run up into COVID and the preparation and the, you know, the hunkering down and the, you know, the fear and all that, that was a lot like running uphill, right? That was a yeah. big, that was a big cardiovascular testing, you know, heavy, you know, just strength and stamina were really important to companies as they got, as they got into COVID and got, got through the beginning of it. And the, the return is going to be a lot more like running downhill. Now, as you know, fortunately, this isn't a Zoom call, so it's not immediately obvious to the people listening to this. I don't run. I am reliably informed, though, by people that do, that running downhill is quite different than running uphill. It tests different muscles than the ones that you're used to using, in particular. It tests muscles you don't use all that much. So, you know, the, uh, so the parts of your quads that running downhill test are parts of your body you don't work out as often. So they're, they're just not, they don't have the same type of strength. Second, whereas running uphill and the preparation was more about strength and stamina, which for me, if I'm looking at a company, are a company's central capabilities. It's cardiovascular system. It's manufacturing, uh, it's manufacturing capability and ability to plan. Senior management and the ability to keep yep. people aligned. Your core corporate culture and your mission and your values. I think all that works really, really well. In running downhill, it's more about agility and balance, and it's more about your distributed capabilities than your central ones. So if I'm a business today, I've got to be thinking about what are my regional offices doing? Like, how do they hold together through this rather right. than what my central messaging is? You know, how do my regional marketing teams do? Any cap what are my partnerships with my agencies and third parties like? All of the stuff that's in the distributed capillaries of your capabilities becomes much more important in a running downhill environment. And it's going to be agility and balance that get companies through this, not strength and stamina. Yeah. You know, um, love, love I'm, it. Go ahead, Dean, I'm, I'm listening to this and listening to Brian, and I'm trying to, you know, find the, some commonality here. And I'm thinking about the, the, the importance of learning the new language of emotional conversations. I'm thinking about the importance of replanning. I'm thinking about agility and balance, and I'm thinking, okay, like the number one skill here, and, and it's probably not a change, uh, a big change, but the number one skill, if I'm thinking about somebody in the economy, is learning. Like this is always constantly learning new things, openness, and a humility to the idea that we might be wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and going away from that, I don't know exactly how you phrased it, Brian, but it was something about we're used to being, um, you know, being in a place where we know the facts. Right. And, yeah, and, the, and we're moving out yeah, of that. Yeah. Well, you're you're moving towards a world where where you just where you can't where you can't know everything. And as I said, and that, that I think is actually an area where um, you know to not to put this back in generational terms, but I think older executives would probably have an have an advantage there versus younger versus younger ones. It's just that we we all grew up in a world where we didn't know anything. So um so right. um so uh, so we're 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 good at being stupid. Um we've got years of years of practice. Um right. I think the, the other point just and Dean to get back to one point before we move on that you were making about specific to the resumption of office work. Yeah. I think this is gonna be a fascinating communication issue. And it reminds me of something, you know, 
Latimer Board Advisor Phil Bonanno once told me years ago when he worked at uh, Sapient, which was a digital, when he left the company, Cantor, that I worked at and went to Sapient. And he basically said, he goes, look, you know, we had a, we had a rule that if one person was dialing in, everybody dialed in for a meeting because the six people in a room and one person dialing in is a horrendous user experience for the one person that's dialing in. I suspect, and that's always stuck with me because I, that's, that's amazing. I've observed that over the years that that's probably not a bad policy. And that's going to be really interesting because if 80% right, of your workforce, right, right, you, right. You, I see exactly where you're going. If, if, yeah. if you, if you're staging your migration back to the office, yeah. Yeah. The chances, I mean, we always have the chances that one or two people are dialing in, but most yeah. people are in the office. That's the common experience. But you're much more likely to have a, a distributed experience or a varied experience. Uh, oh, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah, um, yeah. And, that, and I think from a communications point of view, I think one of the things you're going to help lead your clients through is communicating in a quasi-remote world is going to be, there's a whole book to be written about what the rules of engagement are for that. And, and, and I'm going to tie it back to the first part of our conversation when we were talking about demographics and race. You know, the empathy, the empathy uh, conversation comes back pretty clearly when you're talking about in-person uh, colleagues versus remote colleagues. Because when we're all working from home, there was a whole collective, hey, we're all in this together. You've, some yeah. of us have our kids at home. The dog might be barking. And there was a whole collective, let's survive this together. But as you start to stage that out, and now more and more people are going back to the office environment, it might be pretty easy to forget that part of your part of your colleague base is still dealing with the barking dog and yeah. the kids. We still don't know if kids are going back to school in the fall. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we this don't is know. The, yeah, so the uh, the same type of empathy that we talked about before is going to be important. Yeah. And yeah, and uh, you know, people that level of empathy takes a conscious choice, and it's it's easier. Honestly, it's just easier to watch somebody doing that when you're trying to run a meeting with five people in a meeting room and somebody with a dog barking in the background and just sit there and go, oh, Jesus Christ, you just get your ass into the office. Um, I mean, exactly. that's, that's going to be fighting that is going to be really hard. And uh, Absolutely. I think this I think this resumption of normal, as I said, a long extended you never see <laughs> you never see a race where it's 26 miles of people running downhill. Um, and there's a reason you can't do it. Um, right. and, um, so I think the need to find plateaus of normality is going to be fascinating in terms of where and how collective groups choose to, to plateau and yeah. how they, and how they establish those plateaus, how they establish norms and things like that. And I don't know exactly what the metaphor for that is, but there's yeah. going to be, there's going to be a lot of thinking put into the establishment of temporary norms as the world gets back to quote unquote normal. Right, and then transition to the next plateau, and then yeah. the next plateau, and, and then we'll find our way down. And hopefully yeah. we're going to be good at learning how to do that, the stepping, yeah. the stepping down. Yeah, this is, this is why the second piece I wrote on COVID was called The Plateau, So because um, yeah. it's to get at exactly that point. So, uh, so uh, That's great. This is fascinating, Brian. We appreciate all the insights on both of these massive issues. Um, we're going to transition now to what we call our big five questions. And yep. these are our standard questions that we ask every guest of the Message Makeover podcast. And in these questions, we're going to take you through a number of things and just get your quick reactions on uh, all of them with a focus on, on communication. Dan, why don't you yep. take the first one? 
Yeah, okay, Brian, uh, big five, question number one, who is your communications crush and why? Could be a person in history, a teacher, a colleague. Uh, well, with all due respect to former colleague Jay Walker Smith and Ringer editor Bill Simmons, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with my uh, my number one choice here, which is a a guy very few people have heard of named Chris Mullenfee. And uh, Chris writes a column for Slate magazine called "Why Is This Song Number One," where he breaks down every pop song and that becomes number one in the charts and does kind of a dissection on the the nature of its relationship to the history of popular music. He also runs a podcast called the hit parade. Um, and I love Chris because he's communicating and I don't know him, but I'm a, an ardent fan of this podcast. And I love him because his communication style is the mathematical inverse of how I communicate. Um, he's incredibly scripted. He's super thoughtful about his choices, really slow with his delivery and uses precision of language and setup to create an emotional response to whatever musical topic he's talking about. And his podcasts are like a masterpiece of just really well-structured insights and observations. And they all, you know, you're going somewhere, but you never know where it is. And then there's always an emotional payoff at the end. That's just really, really cool. And um, so I would say that for the construction of the conversation, pacing thoughtfulness and the ability to marrow, marry rather, a quite nerdy obsession with fact, with emotional payout. It's a, it's a, it's a remarkable, it's a remarkable listening experience. I love so if, uh, that's great. I love that too. So uh, that the fact that he's like dissecting every number one song. Yeah, I, I want to go listen to that now because well, to my the, the, well, 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 now just to be clear, the podcast doesn't do that. He does that on Slate, Slate.com. On a, on the, a Slate blog, yeah. The podcast is always. Me, Reminds me of the uh, quote, the happy families are all alike, and every unhappy yeah, family is done. unhappy in its own way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Good, good old Tolstoy. Right. Uh, but yeah, and the podcast always explores, like, my favorite one was he took a look at Creedence Clearwater Revival, a band that never had a number one hit, but had five number twos, um, making them the, the band that had the most number two hits without a number one. And he basically just went through those five songs. What else was on the pop charts at the time? What was happening? And the, the band's relationship to popular music and to the other music that was popular. It's just fascinating. That's amazing. Love it. All right. Qu uh, big five question number two. What is your most cringeworthy communications moment? The idea here is to elicit a mistake and a lesson that we can share with our listeners. Oh, this is easy. This is easy, though. I, um, though in, in, in preparation, I may not have made it this easy because I gave you about 100. Um, but, uh, I mean, the easiest one for me is one of the first public presentations I ever did. I literally nearly died on stage. So, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> to, to quote Mel Brooks uh, from uh, History of the World, when you die at the palace, you really die at the palace. Um, I, nearly, I nearly backed out of a fourth floor open window. I was so nervous. Um, oh so, wow. and um, it was, uh, I was doing a presentation early in my career at the Children's Museum on some HR policy change that we had. Um, and I think the lessons from that are twofold. <laughs> number one, number one, if you're doing a presentation that's not on the first floor, close the windows. Um, and <laughs> second, secondarily, I mean, over over the years, I I became a better presenter from that. Um, yeah. And um, you know, you know, turn that into if you are new to expressing yourself in public in whatever form it is, and knowing that people are listening to you specifically. Yes. No, again, it's it's not a gift. It's a learned skill. Yes. And 
just have the have the confidence that you can learn it. Um, you, you don't learn it. You don't learn it the same way, but it is a learned skill. Because I mean, I was so bleak and terrified when I did that. It's really quite something. You just so. you just articulated a big part of the Latimer Group's value proposition. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, it's almost like a, it's almost like I knew who I was talking to. So uh. exactly, exactly. All right, Dan, you're up next. Gives new meaning to uh, Brian came and he really dropped the knowledge. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, big five question number three, how do you stay afloat in a sea of overwhelm? Uh, I think that's a Seth Godin term. In other words, yeah. uh, in a noisy world uh, with the volume of the world being too loud, how do you maintain a productive posture when there's so well, many I, external inputs? My guess is the person who could play this back best is probably the other guy on this podcast because I think you know how I do this. It's a combination of a fairly broad, a fairly broad but curated list of uh, – list of sources that I rely on for, uh, for ongoing information. Some of those are individuals. I'm one of those people. I actually find Twitter super useful for this. Um, so, um, I think it's a, yep. I mean, it's popular to crap on Twitter at the moment. I think it's a really, really effective tool for doing exactly this, which is stay, staying aware of conversations and yes. where they're going. Um, yep. I think it's an, I think it's, I think to some degree it's invaluable, um, in a complex world. I will combine that, though, with once I know that it's a conversation that I am, A, interested in, and B, can sense from the dialogue that there's stuff behind what people are saying, then I'll go do a deep dive. Um, mm -hmm. So I will do I'll – put, I'll put poles in the ground to orient myself a little bit. And, you know, Dean, you were on the receiving end of one of these yesterday um, yes. where when we were looking at uh, – was looking at police violence and yes. found an old uh, – PhD level study that uh, that uh, that broke down the the actual difference between how white people die at the hand of police versus how black people die at the hand of police, and that that helps me orient. So yep. a combination of a fairly broad understanding of the conversation with selective fact based knowledge around exactly what's happening yep. then allows then allows some filtration of what you're hearing in a way that helps me make sense of it. Love it, love it. All right, uh, big five, question number four. We call this one thumbs up or thumbs down. Cool. We give, you, we give you some communication ideas or tools, and you tell us whether you think they're either going to grow or diminish over the immediate future. Uh, let's start with number one, work from home culture. Thumbs up or thumbs down, growing or decreasing, increasing or decreasing over the next couple of years? Well, I think it's – I would – I mean, I would I would give it a thumb up, but not in, you know, kind of way kind of the way the Commodus gives the thumbs up when uh, when he has to keep Maximus alive in Gladiator. So, uh, <laughs> quivering, quivering hand with uncertainty, the thumb goes yes. up simply because it's inevitable. Um, yeah. As as Maximus was as well. Um, exactly. That being said, the other thing is is you got to realize as an as a participant in this. I started my new job on March 9th. So well, wow. my entire experience of my new company has worked from home culture. And that has been both weird, good in some ways, but it's now getting to a point where I've been working with people for 90 days. I've never had a casual conversation with any of my colleagues about anything. It's really yeah. strange. Yeah. Um, and um, I think that's the area where if that, if this is going to go on for a while, how you hire new people into a work at home culture, how you create a culture when it's not all the same people. 
that I think is a wide open question. So I would go, I would go thumbs up for now, thumbs sideways on the future. I just don't know how you're going to do some of the stuff. Nice. Okay. Uh, Number two, Zoom, WebEx, Teams. We've got a bunch of platforms that all of a sudden have become super popular. Does one win? Do they all win? Is there room for multiple or do we see some contraction there? I think, um, I think Zoom and I, I think Teams, Teams, Teams is inevitable the way Thanos is inevitable in the, in the Marvel movies because it's Microsoft, right? So, right. And, I, and, I, and look, Teams has gotten, I mean, if anybody listening is on the Microsoft Teams product team, Kudos, man, because that product was terrible a year ago. Um, yeah. Um, and it's gotten way better. Um, yeah. It's not Zoom in terms of ease of interface and fun, and it's not cool as such. But Teams has done a really nice job, I think, of keeping pace with Zoom. I think the rest of them are all a mile behind. Um, yeah. And I think eventually the market's going to consolidate into into Zoom for, for smaller entities and Teams for enterprises, for large enterprises. There you go. All right, last one of our thumbs up. Thumbs oh, oh sorry, sorry. One one added variable to that, sure. and this will depend a little bit on um, on how Amazon competes with Microsoft in the cloud services space, because yeah. Microsoft could do one of two things: they could buy Zoom, which I don't think they're going to do; it's expensive, or they could take the partnership that they're developing with Slack um, and integrate their platform, which is Chime, into Slack. And I think that's probably I think Chime, though not a great user experience today. I think Chime's probably, if I were going to bet on a, if I were going to bet on a horse to show in this horse race, I'd bet on a Slack Chime combo run by Amazon. Nice. Okay. All right. Last one, and then we've got one more question back to Dan. Uh, Facebook's power and influence growing or declining over the next five years? Thumbs up or thumbs down? What do you think? Uh, do you mean Facebook as a platform or Facebook as a company? Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, look at you taking my question deeper. Uh, I'm going to say platform. Okay. As a platform, I would say, uh, so as Phil Bonanno cancels a subscription to this, I would say, uh, I would say probably thumb sideways or maybe, uh, uh, thumb diagonally pointing down, um, yeah. but sideways. Uh, I think Facebook's going to have to go through a period of trying to figure out Facebook today to me is in an interesting place. Um, it is both a tool to connect people and a very low cost advertising platform. And yes. at some point, those two objectives are going to be hard to keep on the same track. Um, and I'm, look, they're smarter than I am. And I'm sure they would tell me it's a thumbs up and it's fine. And they're probably right. I, as an outside observer that doesn't know the business terribly well, I think they're going to have a hard time keeping those two train tracks uh, close enough to each other for the wheels to stay on the rails. Um, so I think that's going to be an interesting conversation. Instagram, I'm a massive thumbs up on. I think Instagram's going to take over the world. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. All right, Dan, okay. back to you. Number five, uh, Brian, your best communications coaching advice for a person right at this moment and what a moment we are in June 11th. 2020 um i would say that uh, i would i'll try to keep the one but uh i would go back to the three words we kind of started this podcast with which were which were uh genuineness empathy and clarity and if you kind of have those three things as a venn diagram um figuring out what the overlaps are between genuine empathy empathetic clarity um you know all those the, the natural overlays in that 
all while remembering that though we're in serious times, not everybody wants to be serious all the time and that it is okay to, if your genuine self is a, is an optimistic person, bring optimism to it, even if it's difficult. Right. If your genuine self is humor, bring humor to it, even though some of the situation, even though <laughs> be careful about misfires. Um, you know, just don't feel like you have to be minor chord piano serious about everything all the time. Um, if that's not your natural style, um, cause you won't come off as genuine and you'll, you will, you won't, you'll confuse the people that know you and you won't engage the people that don't because you're going to be trying to be clear about something you don't, that you're not genuine about. Um, and I yep. think people, you know, clear ungenuineness is charlatanism and you want to avoid that at all costs. Um, so, um, so yes, yeah, so I would say that, yeah, I would say genuine, empathetic clarity. That's awesome. Great. That's fantastic. Well, you know, this could go on forever, Brian. Fascinating as always. We could take any one of the, you know, things we talked about today and blow it up into a 45 or 60 minute conversation. But uh, we're also living in a, in the attention deficit world. So we want to, we want to keep our, our listeners engaged and, and respect their time. So we'll choose this as the perfect place for us to wrap up. And, and Brian, as always, you, you've brought so much to the table. You've given us so much to think about. And uh, who knows, you know, we, we may be calling on you again sometime as, a, as a, our first th three-time guest of the Message Makeover. Uh, it, it's always fun. We, we love talking to you, Brian. <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, to be like Pat Riley and trademark three fast now. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thanks, that's Brian. great, Brian. We really appreciate your time, Brian. And, and no, it's a great conversation. I, I learned a ton from it. So uh, thank, thank you. So uh, thank you for setting it up. Well, Dan, that was that was an amazing conversation. I mean, as always, Brian Brian leaves me thinking. And and uh, what I think would be valuable for our listeners right now is if you and I can each pick out two or three big ideas that struck us. Uh, I think uh, I think that'd be a great way to wrap this up. Yeah, um, love talking to Brian. I always feel like I learned something and. Uh, in this day and age, that's what we need to do is keep listening and learning. And so yes. that would segue for me to one of my takeaways, which is we all have to learn. Well, maybe not everybody, but, but many of us have to learn a new language of emotional conversations. Yes. And we have to find some um, ability to become comfortable with yes. maybe some uncomfortable conversations. Yes. And we all know that how do you get better at something? You, you do it over and over and over. And so we can't be afraid to wade into these conversations. Yep. Um, I know that I'm, I'm thinking about that for myself um, as for a sure. takeaway. And then this, you know, uncertain world, he just had a way of framing it that, you know, we're used to being, you know, you know, factually funded all the time and everything's at the, uh, at our fingertips, knowledge. Yep and facts and it's an uncertain time and so we've got to get uh, more comfortable with that so there's some more discomfort there about uh, being able to be nimble and flexible and agile in that kind of a world and mm -hmm. so those, those were the, the kind of key things and I just think it goes back to learning you know is the number one skill um, that we have to be skilled in we have to be continually learning new things and the world is being remade in many ways and so we all have to get used to that, too. Yeah. Yeah. What jumped out for me, a, a few things jumped out for me, his concept of empathy, which came up three or four times in this in this conversation uh, and, and, and how important it is. And he introduced a new word to us. He called it 
sympathy. Yep. Okay. And uh, what I love about that is what he's really saying is empathy. The, 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 the more, the more different your experience is for somebody, the harder it is to be empathetic. And it's really easy to empathize with somebody whose experience is very similar to yours. I thought that was profound. Yeah. Uh, was. And, yep. and, and connecting that to the statistic, Brian, every time I talk to him, he's bringing stats, which I love about him. You know, older America is 80% white, 20% of color. Under 30, America is 52, 48. Yep. And his whole notion that there are neighboring countries with less ethnic diversity than that that have ended up at war with each other. And, and I'm, I'm not advocating that I think we're, that that's where we're headed, but I think figuratively speaking, we're already there. So, so understanding how to have these kinds of conversations and then tying it back, uh, another point that jumped for me is tying it back to the COVID-19 conversation in a world where we don't have perfect information all the time, where we have to have challenging conversations with people that had very different experiences than we do with less than perfect information. Wow. What a landscape. We got to get, get good at it. What a landscape I mean, we're living in. It's the, the, the stakes, to your point, the stakes are huge. So that yes. means we need to invest in yes. these skills and capabilities and mindsets that totally. are going to be new for people. And, and the last point, and, and, and this is where we can, we, we can land here, uh, talking about the, the Venn diagram of genuine, clear, and empathetic communication and those being the characteristics that – that he thinks are going to be most important here for people to succeed and for the, for the conversation to move forward. So amazing, amazing conversation with Brian. Uh, always, always a joy to speak to him. Absolutely. So that wraps up our conversation for today and for Dan Cooney and all our colleagues at the Latimer group. Thanks for listening to the message makeover podcast. The Message Makeover podcast is presented by the Latimer Group, the experts in persuasive communication, corporate training, and executive coaching delivered with impact. For more information on the Latimer Group and for more episodes of the Message Makeover podcast, look for us on iTunes, Google Play, and online at thelatimergroup.com.